if you have a notebook tonight, tonight's a great night to... I don't have a number, a, a wide number of slides, so it's going to take just some personal initiative tonight for you to uh, track along with me. I, I will tell you today that I took one for the team. You say, Pastor, you took one for the team. Yes, I watched a 45-minute episode of a man who said that Noah's Ark is false, and therefore the Bible itself is false. And so I, I watch that on your behalf, okay? <laughs> I can save you the 45 minutes, all right? Uh, from a humanistic uh, viewpoint, and from the viewpoint really of an unbeliever of the Word of God in totality, um, he makes some interesting statements, and um, for someone that would be watching it, I'm sure that they'd be like, oh, that makes sense, but if you have the thinking in, in perspective of Genesis to Revelation, uh, which I, I hope that you do, and the totality of the Word of God, uh, I think it's very easy to answer or to refute uh, what he says in it, it's not my purpose to go into great detail about what he says, but I'll just give you a couple of things. He says, there's no way that Noah could have taken uh, that many animals on the ark in light of how many species that we have in the world today. And uh, that is answered by answers in Genesis because God describes the animal life as kind. And so you didn't have to take uh, a labradoodle and a doberman and a husky and everything like this all that noah had to take was the dog kind and you would then have dogs and over years and years and years and centuries they've bred different types of dogs and different kinds of conditions and uh everything and and it was interesting because the young man then said that for those that don't understand that Noah could not have taken all these animals and species on the ark, he said those same people that claim that, that he had all the, or he had this volume of people, he said those same people are then saying that through evolutionary processes, we now have all these different varieties of animals. And, uh, and, and again, still I would refute that by saying no, it's not evolution because kind does not change kind. And that's what evolution does. Kind can transform into another kind. So a dog will never be another, a dog will never be a cat. And a cat will never be a bird. My dog thinks it's a bird. Alright? And my dog is furious with birds that fly in the air. And he does his dead-level best to follow those birds as they fly to Dulles Airport from where we live. And uh, I keep telling him, son, you're never going to fly. Leave the birds alone. They don't come down here on the ground where you are. You don't need to be up in the air where they are, all right? So when we, when we talk on these matters, we understand that God made kind and those kinds never transfer out of kinds and so forth and then he said 
is another argument that he had was that there's no way that they could have carried enough food because an elephant can eat, and they said like 660 pounds of food a day. Brother Steve will like this. They, they equated it to a round bale per day. And they said for just the elephants, he would have had to have like 500 round bales uh, somewhere stored on the ark. And he gave the measurement of all of that and so forth. And, and again, it's not my purpose to refute all of those things, but if you ever take the trip to uh, the ark there in uh, outside of Cincinnati and south there of Cincinnati, it is amazing to see the size of the replica of the ark. And when you get onto it, it is amazing to see how they could have fed and watered the animals, and then they could have dealt with uh, all the runoff that comes from animals, if you know what I mean. All right? So I, now there was one thing that he said that I, I, I am challenged on how I should answer it. He said, if a loving God actually allowed a, a, a worldwide flood, he said, why in the world, if that occurred, would we still have mosquitoes in the world today? Why didn't God wipe out mosquitoes and just say, enough of you? And, uh, and it, why did Noah take two mosquitoes on the ark? You know, why, why would he have done that? Why didn't we just get rid of spiders? Why didn't we get rid of mosquitoes and, and things like this? But at the same time, he took snakes on the ark, and I'm concerned about that. Uh, people have said to me at different times, oh, don't kill that snake. That's a good snake. And uh, every once in a while, I'll see a video that's a king snake that's killing some other kind of poisonous snake. And so people say, oh, that's a good snake. Don't kill that snake. Buddy, I'm telling you what. If I'm out in the wild and it's a snake, it's not a good snake, okay, uh, as, as I see it. But I'm sure that there are reasons for it anyway. All right. So I endured that one. I've got to tell you another one. Many years ago, uh, there was, I think it was produced by NBC. This is not, this is a, this is a movie about Noah, uh, and, and John Voight played Noah. This is not the, I'll, I'll reference the two different ones that I'm familiar with, but the John Voight Noah film was interesting. I watched, again, a little bit of Hollywood's take on the theme of Noah, and it was interesting because Noah's three sons, one of them was dragging his wife onto the ark and kind of had her in a fireman's carry. You say, well, why was he doing that? Because according to the movie, as they presented it, and it was interesting because they had a statement ahead of it and said, we have taken um, license to produce the video that you see. And so I thought to myself, oh my, what kind of license did they take in this? Well, according to the movie produced by NBC, it started to rain before they closed the door on the ark. So you see all these animals that are coming onto the ark in a pouring rain, which is not true. You see one of Noah's sons, and it looks like his wife was half drowned, and he saved her out of the, out of the flooding and brought her onto the ark, which was not true. And uh, I, I, got a, I got a kick out of it because um, you see these salamanders and you see these 
crocodiles and all this kind of stuff going up the ramp. And the interesting thing, Noah was having a conversation with some individuals that were really furious that these animals had trampled their fields and their harvest. And so because these animals had come from all over the known world at that time to be on the ark, they had run roughshod through villages, they had run roughshod through all of their planted fields, and they were furious with Noah and said, it's your fault that these animals have destroyed our crops. And as Noah's in the middle of the conversation with them, a man starts to feel raindrops, and that's when it started to rain. Well, that's not true, okay? In order to know the truth, you have to read Genesis chapter 6. But I thought that was interesting. I thought, yes, you, you definitely took, uh, uh, what is it, license or something like that. You know, you took some uh, liberal or liberalities with that in the production of that. But the other one that's been produced, and it was it, Russell Crowe played Noah. And you may remember that version of Noah. And in that version of Noah, he's on the ark and there's other little boats sailing by him. Uh, and I, I can't remember the totality of it, but you know, basically they're waving at him and stuff like that. And I thought, okay, all right, we've struggled to really produce a, uh, a real-life, truthful account of what happened with Noah. It's important for us to understand that Noah and the flood are very much tied to creation. Again, I've presented a number of messages already uh, on this, but I want you to go with me tonight to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to float through chapter 6 and then uh, a little bit back uh, into chapters 4 and 5 as well. But we want to deal with Noah and the flood because I think the, uh, a faithful way to present it is it is going to be a divine reset button. There's going to be a divine reset button that Almighty God presses as it relates to uh, the creation. And there's been some things that have come to my mind as I've been studying on this and been reading a lot with answers in Genesis. Uh, if you're in the habit of looking at uh, resources on the Internet, Answers in Genesis has a series of ten different videos directly related to Noah and the Flood. And I've thought about showing snippets from some of them, but uh, none of them really hit on uh, a specific area that I'd like to hit on, so I haven't shown any of them yet. But if you have the opportunity, they're not real long. It's like 10 to 15 minutes or so uh, in each of the episodes. But they've, they've, again and again, Answers in Genesis has jarred my thinking uh, and, and things that I just never thought and or understood uh, in days gone by. So we want to go to this tonight, uh, Noah and the Flood. The timing of the flood, the timing of the flood. Do we know when the flood occurred? Do we know when the flood occurred? Can we pinpoint the exact year in which the flood came, okay? You answer that in your own thinking right now. Can we pinpoint the exact year that the flood took place, yes or no? What do you think? Okay, do you want me to do a raise of hand? How many of you say yes? How many of you say no? How many of you don't know, all right? 
This is a great study, and I have here in my hands a, a, a copy uh, that's printed out. I think this one came from Brother Joseph, uh, Diva Mithram, and this is a great sheet. But I, I would also challenge you to just do this in your own Bible study. And uh, I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 5. So if you'll turn back to Genesis chapter 5, sometime in your own Bible study, do some math. I can't believe I just said that. All right? I'm terrible at math, so I'm using a calculator. I'm thankful for the calculators that we now have on our phones. And uh, I've said to you before, but when they blended English and math, I was done. All right? And they started using letters in my math problems. I was done. It ended with flashcards in fifth grade, all right? So the timing of the flood, do we know when the flood occurred, okay? Genesis chapter 5, look at verse number 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. So again, it goes back to things I've mentioned already in the day that they were created. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Genesis chapter 5 is going to be a faithful genealogy of the the line of Adam. It is not all of the individuals that were born to these men. But it is the first one, other than Adam, the first one that was born to the men. And so what I would do, or what I challenge you to do is, is, and and I've done this several times, I did it again today, it's just, it is amazing to me to sit down and take some time, and again, this is all on the internet, it's all available in different books, but it is fascinating to do this on your own. We did it in the young adult class uh, on a Sunday morning and just writing these things down, okay? So when we look at the timing of the flood, we're going to look back to Genesis chapter 3, because the Bible says that in that day, in that time when Adam and Eve sinned, their time clock began. So before Adam and Eve sinned, they knew no time clock. They were made in perfection. God made Adam, and from Adam He took Eve, his wife, and they knew no sin until that moment in the garden that they sinned, Genesis chapter 3, they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they realized that they had disobeyed God, they went and sowed themselves fig leaves, they hid from God, and their time clock started ticking, okay? Before that sin, there was no appointment with death. And of course, we know Adam and Eve weren't worried about taxes yet, right? So they, they did not know sin. Nothing died. They didn't have anything in the garden that would have died. No plant life died. No animal life died. They're, they're not seeing or interacting with death. But when they sinned, the Bible says their biological clock started ticking. And I want to just call this year one, okay? So Adam sins... Eve sins, they're cast out of the garden, their biological clock is ticking. Look down with me if you would. And, and by the way, we're, we're in Genesis chapter 5, we're taking out the birth of Cain and Abel. We'll come to Cain and come back to Cain in just a minute. But look what the Bible says in verse number 3. And Adam lived 130 years 
Okay, if he lived 130 years, 130 years from when? From when? 130 years from the time that he did what? That he sinned. So 130 years has passed, and now he's going to have this son, and this son's name is Seth. So here's what I would do if you, this is what I did in my own personal time, and just going down through this again, I write a name, I write the year he's born, I write the year that they have their first child as is given in Genesis chapter 5, and then I write down the year that they died. Okay, so what do we learn about Adam? He started his time clock ticking with year one, day one. He had his first son, Seth, again, not referring to Cain and Abel. I'll get back to them in just a second. But he has his first son, Seth, at 130 years. And the Bible says after he begat Seth, he lived another 800 years, so he died when he was 930 years old. Can you believe that? Can you imagine if we lived that long now? We would have been alive for so much. You know, we, you talk about the senior saints ministry having people in it forever. Uh, <laughs> Brother Roger would be planning his 800th watch night service, you know, or something like that as it would be, you know. So just imagine you and your wife are celebrating your 650th anniversary and the man is racking his brain for what he's going to get for his wife this time. All right? So, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that could go, okay? But 930 years, 930 years. So, in my chart for Adam, I have 1, 130, and 930, okay? Then you come under that and you come to Seth. Seth was born in year 130. Seth had children in year 235. And Seth died in 1042. Okay, now I'm not going to do all of the problem for you. You need to sit down there and do it for yourself because it's fascinating. But I will give you the conclusion, okay? We don't often think of this, but Enoch, who was born quite a bit after Adam, Enoch was born in year 622. But the Bible says that Enoch did not die... The Bible says that he walked with God and he was not. God took him right home to heaven. All right? Well, that happened. Listen to this carefully. Adam died in what year? What year did Adam die? 930. In year 930, Enoch died in 987. 987. So for 350, almost 300 years... Adam and Enoch could have been having conversations. That's amazing when you start to think of the overlap. The reason I tell you this, we come all the way down to Lamech. All the way down to Lamech. You're there in verse number 28 now of Genesis chapter 5. Lamech lived 180 and two years and begat a son. Lamech, who is the father of Noah... What year did Adam die? 930. The father of Noah was born in 874. So the father of Noah was born in 874, who
Who was the father of Lamech? Very famous guy. You can look in your Bible and you can cheat. I'm giving you permission. Who's the father of Lamech? Methuselah. Who's the one that lived the longest in the Bible? Methuselah. He lived to be 900 and what? 30, 969 years, okay? Methuselah was born in 687, so almost 200 and 250 years before Adam dies, Methuselah is born. Methuselah is the longest living individual. He lives 969 years, 250 of those years. He is able to interact with Adam. That's amazing. Adam, what was the garden like? You know, I've told that story so many times. Adam dies in 930. Methuselah, the man who lived the longest on the earth, dies in 687. And here's where you're just going to be like, boom, light bulb. What year did Methuselah die? I'm glad you asked. He died in 1656. Year number 1656. Who do you suppose was born in 1056? Who do you suppose was born 600 years before Methuselah died? Who? Noah. What year did the flood come? 1656. The man that lived the longest on the earth, Methuselah, dies in the year of the flood. And what's amazing is when you go down and do this on your own, and you do your own math, and you go Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalalal, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, you go all the way down through them, and you come to that final number of Noah being birthed in 1056, and then you find that the flood came in 1656, which is the very year that Methuselah died, and Methuselah was the longest living man on the earth, I'm telling you, it is a demonstration of God's patience. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, but is long-suffering to usward. There were indications in Methuselah's name that identified the fact that the flood would come or a tragedy would come whenever he passed. And again, I just want to challenge you. Take some time in your devotions. Don't, don't just rely upon the concordance or upon the uh, map from the internet. Take some time and just map this out yourself because I'm telling you, it is amazing to see how much overlap there was in these patriarchs. Now, the flood comes in the year 1656. I didn't realize I had it up there. I, I let you cheat even. I told you he's 969 years old. The flood comes in 1656. So we know the exact year. So mankind was on this globe for 1,656 years. And here's the amazing part. Of that 1,656 years, the vast majority of people lived for the vast majority of that time. 1,656 years from the time of creation and the flood comes. I believe that we know exactly when the flood came. Genesis chapter 6, 
and then going back into Genesis chapter 5. Now, let's ask another question. Do we know why the flood came? Do we know why the flood came? And this is part of uh, what I mentioned earlier about the, the man who said that there's no way that there was a flood. Um, he does not take into account everything else that the Bible says. He just looks squarely at the flood and he says, Noah could not take into that many species on that size of a boat. Noah couldn't, handle, couldn't have handled all the food that it would have required. Noah couldn't handle. And so he's looking at it from those aspects. I think that those are more than answered. But he's not looking at it from the totality of what God is doing and what God is accomplishing. Genesis chapter 6, I believe that we know exactly when the flood took place, 1656. Now I know all of those years are going they were in the reverse order because now we're ascending in the year of our Lord. But it's helpful for us to see that in the year 1656 from creation, the flood comes. Now, why? Take your Bibles, Genesis chapter 6. Let's answer the why, okay? It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Uh, it's not my purpose to get into that debate. If you're not familiar, there is a debate over the sons of God, the daughters of men. Uh, is this some kind of an angelic being that, uh, that had children with earthly individuals and so forth? Uh, I've answered that in different messages. See me afterwards. We can talk about that. But there's debate in what people think. We'll get to heaven and know better by and by, okay? It's my purpose to show you that God recognizes that the longer that man's on the earth, the greater his sins are growing. Okay, and I'll get to that. I'll get uh, the, 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 if I've sinned this many times in 54 years, what would my life look like at 900 years? That's my point. Okay. Then look down at verse number five. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. Let's, let's go to creation. Creation, everything's perfect. Animal life is perfect. Plant life is perfect. Mankind is perfect. When Adam sinned, everything changes. Sin brings death. The death of animal life, the death of plant life, the death of mankind. Okay? We leave the garden... And Genesis chapter number 4, if you'll flip that back there with me. We leave the garden, and what happens shortly after the garden, okay? What happens shortly after the garden? Eve has her firstborn, Cain. 
Then she has a second son, Abel. They grow up together, but they have a a vastly different opinion of what they've been taught. So both boys were no doubt taught the right path because they both heard the same stories about the garden. They both heard why their parents were cast out. It's, it's, it's as though, it's as though the, the drunkard becomes sobered and he tells his two sons, boys, don't go down that path. And one of them says, you know what, I'm going to listen to what my dad said because he's already experienced it and I don't have to go down that same path and find out the same thing that he's already learned. And the other boy said, I'm not sure that my dad's telling the truth, so I want, to, I want to find it out myself. Cain and Abel are both involved in family devotions, if you would. They both hear the story of eating of the fruit of the forbidden uh, tree. They both know the right way. They both know what had to be done in order to cover their sins and how God slew an animal. Again, we understand death from that vantage point. God takes the life of an animal to provide a covering for Adam and Eve. And, and Cain says, listen, Dad, I know your story, but I want to learn it for myself. And Cain says, I'm going to, I'm going to go my own path. And he says, I'm going to develop my own way to heaven and to be pleasing to Almighty God. And the Bible goes down through this and says, when Cain and Abel both offered their offering to God... Abel was received because he offered what he should offer, the fruit of the flock and the shedding of blood. Cain said, I'm going to offer the fruit of my own hands. When Cain determined to go his own way and he did not listen to the right path, he could not do anything against God. And so he turned his attention to his fellow man. And he cries against his fellow man and he puts his brother to death. And instead of repenting over that immediate sin, we we now have gone vastly away from just the simplicity of partaking in a fruit, which was sin and disobedience, but now we've taken life. Cain takes the life of his brother. And look at then how that wickedness grows. In Genesis chapter 4, we find that Cain knew his wife, She conceived, they bear a son, they build a city, and now this city is growing, they're begetting, and and we find their names. And then we find in verse number 19, Lamech took unto him two wives, again, vastly outside of what God originally determined, one man with one woman for one lifetime. And then we come all the way down, while they are producing cattle, dwelling in tents, producing different musical instruments, Lamech, the Bible says in verse number 23, said unto his wives, Ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding. So this one takes it even, even a step further and says, I didn't just kill a man, but now I'm excited that I've killed a man. And he so boasts in it that he says, if God's going to judge Cain, look what it says there. If Cain be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. In other words, God, bring it on. Bring it on. I'm not afraid of you, and I'm not afraid of your judgment. This is the line of Cain, and this is the way that they're headed. 
I would present to you tonight from Genesis chapter 6 that the line of Cain and the philosophy of Cain with his religion, with his philosophy now of marriage, and that being the the common theme of the line of Cain, I I, I think that absolutely uh, became the philosophy of others that were in that line. It's not a surprise then when we turn to Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, and the Bible says that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now, it's hard for me to imagine this. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I read a story today. I I cannot, I cannot wrap my mind around how this event would unfold, but I'm going to tell you the story. A man goes in, takes the life of his wife, comes out of that room from taking the life of his wife, goes into the room where his two four-year-old twins are. Two four-year-olds. And he takes their lives, and then he takes his own life. I, I cannot wrap my mind around that. We did not have twins, but we did have two And I can't wrap my mind around how bad life could be, how troublesome life could be, how horrible life could be, how traumatic life could be, that I would take the life of my spouse and then go take the life of two truly innocent kids and then take my own life. I can't wrap my mind around that, but I tell you what, the devil's making individuals do that all the time these days. When you and I read verse number 5, it is hard for us in what I'll call the Christian world to imagine that the wickedness of man was so great and as every imagination was only evil continually. Well, how does that happen? The line of Seth must have been exploding. I'm sorry, the line of Cain must have been exploding And it's also very clear that the line of Seth was not near impactful. For all these people that have been born in these 1,656 years, out of all the line of Cain and all the line of Seth, that's what we're really talking about here, there are only eight individuals that were pleasing to God. Eight. I mean, when you whittle it all down, you find the line of Cain and the philosophy of of Cain dominating the world. Do we know why the flood came? God was so fed up with their wickedness. And it truly is amazing because God initially said, I'm going to wipe them all off the face of the earth. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Do we know why the flood came? The wickedness of man had so in, 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 in just come up into the nostrils of God that God just says, okay, I'm done. I'm done with this bunch. And so that's why I would present to you that it was really a divine reset 
by Almighty God. And if I could just insert this for us. Romans chapter 1 details exactly why this continues to happen. Because in truth, the philosophy of the line of Cain is still very prevalent today. The philosophy says I'll get to heaven my own way. The philosophy says that all these other things are more important than what God says is important. And so we still see it very much in play today. The philosophy of Cain getting to heaven his own way. Do we know when the flood occurred? 1656. You can do the math on that. I challenge you to just take some time. If you have children or grandchildren... Uh, sit down with them sometime in a family devotion setting and get everybody a piece of paper and go down through all those, not, all those names and just list out uh, what year they were born, what year they had children, and then what year they died and do some math on that. It's exciting to see that. Do we know why? Yes, we know why. Genesis chapter 6. Man is multiplying, but sin is prolific. And it is the downward spiral of sin. The sin nature of the line of, or the, the sinfulness of the, not the sin nature, but the sin, sinfulness of the line of Cain has overwhelmed even the line of Seth. And now there are only eight people in the world as Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So, the when, the why, and then we come to this evening, the last, the how. Do we know how God spared the world? Why not just wipe out everybody? Have you thought of that? Why not just, you know, bubonic plague? Or rats run amok? Or something like that. Why not just wipe everybody out and you just have uh, the nature of, of Noah and his wife and their three sons and three sons' wives? Why not just wipe everybody else out? Well... In many ways, God is resetting all of creation. Now, there's one key aspect that is not reset, and I want to make sure that you know this when I use that terminology, resetting. Sin is not reset. And so while the six individuals, that are the eight individuals that went on the ark and the eight individuals that got off the ark, while they were no doubt believers in God, this one man, this one family... Uh, from those individuals is going to come again the sinfulness of mankind. How bad can it get? Well, Romans chapter 1 details for us how bad it can get. There's another divine reset that's coming, right? We believe according to the Scriptures. First of all, Jesus Christ is going to receive His own up into heaven in what is called the rapture. The world in the years of tribulation is finally going to throw off the shackles of the convicting influence of the Holy Spirit of God. You and I live today in a world that has a restraining force on the nature of sin. That restraining force is the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in the tribulation that restraining force, force is removed and mankind can finally and once and for all, for their own doing, they can do whatever they want and there's no convicting influence then. They just sin will run amok. 
So you have another time coming, it's called the rapture, but then you have another time coming that's called the return of Christ, the second coming of the Lord. And it will be another reset, if you would. We go into the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Sin is not yet totally dealt with. Because during the millennium, you have individuals that are born, that have a sin nature, and they'll be interacting with others. And this, boy, this will just blow your mind, and it gets us really into a lot of prophecy and prophetic things, but human beings will interact with glorified beings. You say, I don't think that's possible. Well, you need to read the Gospels because it is possible. The Lord Jesus Christ was glorified and he interacted with the disciples, John chapter 21. So yes, it is possible. But in Genesis chapter 6, again, those are resets that are coming. In Genesis chapter 6, there's a reset. One family, one man, and a necessary ark. A necessary ark. If God is going to change the nature of all of society and all the animal world, and all the plant world, the nature of the continents, as we see it, we see a continent up there on the globe. If the continents are going to be changed, and the the difference between the land and the sea, and everything is going to be changed, then how is that going to be accomplished? It is, and here it is, a worldwide flood. A worldwide flood. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? How many have been to the Grand Canyon? All right. A lot of people have been to the Grand Canyon. Have you been to the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon? Anybody been to the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon? All right, Brother West says. Anybody else been to the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon? There's actually a Grand Canyon in Pennsylvania. It's lesser known. But it is a similar principle. Uh, Brother Steve Piggott went to the Grand Canyon and actually uh, received some of the greatest insight from the flood Uh, that is exposed there in the Grand Canyon. Now, I'm not, it's not my purpose tonight to get into it, but did you know that the Grand Canyon did not exist before the worldwide flood? When you and I think in terms of the floodwaters ascending over the highest spot in the globe, where do you and I think that that took place? What is the highest spot in the globe right now? Mount Everest. That's exactly right. How tall is it? Does anybody know? It's over 29,000 feet. 29,000 feet. Do you know that even if you go to the top of Everest, you are not as high from sea level to the top of Everest as if you went to the deepest part of the oceans in the world today? My point to you is, in this flood that we're going to talk about in the coming week, God did unbelievable things to this globe because of the nature of the water, because of the nature of the flood waters, because of the nature of the rain. Everything has been changed. And God said, in the end, I won't ever do that again. I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. Now, those in the secular world today have robbed the meaning of the rainbow and they've trashed the meaning of the rainbow. But when you and I see the rainbow, the truth of the matter is the rainbow represents the promise of Almighty God. 
And so as we're able to consider this, this, this flood and the nature of the flood and how God did all of this, we're going to dive deeper into the how. When? 1656. Why? The sinfulness of man was ever so great. But how did God press a supernatural reset button? And what has that given to us uh, in the world today that's vastly different uh, from the world gone by? In fact, Brother Steve, are you here next Wednesday night? You know? I might have Brother Steve, I'll talk to you about this. I need to have him tell you about this spot in the Grand Canyon. Uh, He's challenged me to be able to go to that spot as well, but you have to raft to it. Is that right? And you said you have to be in good shape to go to it too, right? You don't? Okay, all right, I'm just kidding. But I I want him to share with you uh, what he has physically seen, and I think he's got a photo of it as well, if I'm not mistaken. So if we can get that to our tech team, that would make it all the better. Uh, But uh, I want you to see how God dramatically changed things. And when we often think of the flood, I mean, I, I know the first time I thought of the flood, I thought, man, that's amazing. I can't imagine those people climbing Everest to get away from the flood waters. But I tell you what, folks, uh, before the flood, things were dramatically different. And uh, God changed quite a bit uh, in what he did between Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 9. Thank you for your investment tonight. I hope it's been a help to you. The when, the why, and now we'll dig deeper into the how. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. And I pray that this will be a help. Uh, Help us to know the Word of God. We're challenged almost on a daily basis uh, with what we believe about society and a worldview. And I pray uh, that we would know the book and that we'd follow the truth of God's Word. Uh, Lord, help us uh, in these areas in which we're able to explain uh, things to others, and perhaps there's some things that we can't explain. I pray that we'd not run from those things, but that we'd just dig deeper and look for the answers. Uh, we know that Almighty God cannot lie, and He's told us the truth in the Word of God. And there may be times that we can't explain it all, but we're finite, and we serve an infinite God. And I'm so thankful that He not only created us, but He sent His Son to redeem us. Thank You, Lord, for the truth of Noah and his life. He stood out as a man that was different from all others. And I'm so thankful that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Thank you for our Bible studies tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so very much. On your way out tonight, make sure you greet those around you. And uh, just a reminder of the different events coming up this weekend. Pray that you'll be involved as you possibly can. Have a good night.